morning again. It's good to see y'all. Um, we are in week four of our series called Vision 2020, where we're taking a look at where our church may be heading in the coming year and beyond. And uh, over the last several Sundays, we've been touching on some of the distinctives of our church, the heritage of our church. And so I've talked in week one about the history of this particular church and of the movement, which is Churches Apart, which dates back to the early 1800s when Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone had become fed up with a lot of the denominationalism uh, that was taking place across the country. Uh, people were fighting or from di- between, with one another between different denominations and trying to uh, convert people to their denomination. Um, and so these two fellows said, look, we're just going to erase all that and simply become known as the Christian church. And so that's where this church comes out of. It comes out of this desire, what is called the restoration movement, to restore unity between believers across denominations. In week two, we talked about how they pushed aside man-made traditions and beliefs in favor of turning the Bible as, turning to the Bible as their sole source of truth. Last week, we talked about the sacrament of baptism and how various traditions have skewed the biblical model and meaning of it where believers were immersed in water and that this was done after they had professed Christ as their, as their Savior, never before, that being the biblical model of baptism. Today, I want to touch on the last of those distinctives of the heritage of our church, and that is communion. Perhaps you've noticed, uh, if you've been attending Hebron for a little while, or maybe uh, for a couple of years now, it's different than where you grew up. We celebrate communion every week here at at Hebron. Um, Some Protestant traditions do that. Some Protestant traditions do not. Um, Some take it it weekly. Some take it monthly. Or as in the case of the particular Protestant tradition that I grew up with, we took it twice a year. Um, So, you know, it's across the board depending on what you grew up with. Well, today I want to explain what communion is, its meaning, and how it's possible to sin by taking communion. Um, Finally, we want to talk about what difference all this makes to your life and to mine. So that's our agenda. Our text comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Corinth, and he's speaking about this specific topic when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, our text is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27. Let's stand and read together from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, let's start with our first question today, which is, what is the meaning of communion? Let's take a look at these verses together. Verse 23, Paul tells them, he writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, namely, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Now let's stop right there. What was the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed? What night was that? Do we know? It was the night before his crucifixion, right? And so it was also Passover weekend. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's celebrating the Passover meal on uh, Passover weekend with them. 
The Passover meal was an ordinance. It was something that God had established for the Jewish people to observe. An ordinance means it's something that you're supposed to do year upon year upon year after year for generations. And so this is, and it was reminding them, the Jewish people, of what God had done for them. It was reminding them of their slavery in Egypt and how God had delivered the Jewish people. That was the first Passover meal, the night before they'd be delivered out of Egypt. And so they would celebrate this meal to be reminded of their bondage and slavery and how God had delivered them out of the hand of their Egyptian masters. Back to the meal itself, sorry, the communion meal, verse 24. Jesus takes the bread off the table, it says, verse 24, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus says, this bread is my body, and then he said, this cup, or the juice in it, this wine in it, represents my blood. Now that raises a question, did Jesus literally mean that the liquid in the cup was his blood, and that the bread that he broke was literally his flesh, his physical body? Is that what he meant? Well, the answer to that question is simply no. The bread that still felt like bread had not turned into Jesus' flesh, and the wine in the cup had not turned into Jesus' blood. The reason being is that Jesus is still sitting there right in front of the disciples, right? All of the flesh that he had before he made the statement is still on his bones. All of the blood that he had running through his veins is still in his veins as he's sitting there before the disciples that hadn't somehow mystically or supernaturally uh, turned into or had become these items. Um, Secondly, uh, so that's kind of the logical explanation there. Secondly, there is a Greek word that is translated is, where Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. And it's the word me" in the Greek language. This can also be translated to mean represents. Here's another example of where the word me" occurs in the New Testament, um, where Jesus says that I am the door. He's saying, I am me, the door. That is, I represent the door. Jesus is not saying, I literally am a door, right? He's not saying I'm literally a door. He's saying I am the door. I represent the door to eternal life. And so that's how this word um, sometimes gets misunderstood. There are many other examples of this in the scriptures of how the word emi means or can be translated to mean represent. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic church or if you grew up in a Lutheran tradition, um, they emphasize that the communion elements, once they're blessed, mystically or supernaturally turn into the physical body of Jesus, the bread, and turn into the, the blood of Jesus, the wine in the cup. Um, there's a fancy theological word for this, and it's the word transubstantiation. It's this idea that the body and blood, once they're blessed, turn into literally the body and blood of Jesus, those elements. Now, friends, that completely misses the mark of what Jesus was saying grammatically, and it completely misses the mark of what Jesus was saying logically. Um, The point being that the bread and the wine represent or symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus, not that they literally have now become those those items. So Jesus says, this Passover meal, which has always been a reminder of how God delivered you from bondage, from physical slavery, is now going to be redefined as a reminder of how God delivered you, not from physical slavery in Egypt, but how God delivered you from the slavery of sin, from your bondage to sin, how God is going to make a way for you to have your sins forgiven through the blood that Jesus will shed on the cross. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the phrase there, until he comes, is referring to when Jesus will return at the end of time to gather together his church and take us on up to heaven. But between now and when that time comes, between now and then, look back at verses 24 and 25 with me. Jesus said, do this, share this meal in remembrance of me. Um, That is what is called in grammar a imperative. That is a command. Jesus wasn't giving a suggestion that we do this, right? He was not making it an option whether or not we would do this. He's saying, do this. It is a command that Jesus gives his disciples to observe an ordinance here, this meal, of, uh, which represent his body and his blood. Okay, well, that's the basic gist of what this supper uh, means. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask each week around here, what difference does this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I appreciate the lesson, but I knew all that, right? I, I, this is, they're, they're nothing new. So, hey, let's, let's pass the trays. Let's pray the prayer. Let's send this thing and then get on out of here. Um, I got grass to cut because it rained last night. What difference does all this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Actually, it makes a really big difference to your life and to mine. Let's go back to verse 27, the verse uh, there at the tail end of what we read. Verse 27 begins with the words, therefore. Therefore, now that you know what this meal is all about, Now that you understand what it represents, whoever eats it, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that person is guilty uh, concerning the body and blood of Jesus. And over in the NIV version, it says that person is guilty of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those words that a person can be considered having sinned because they took the elements you know, eating a cracker and a little splash of grape juice, that kind of makes me think, what in the world's going on here? Well, how could that possibly be some sort of a sin? Does that not strike you as odd? Strikes me as a little odd. Well, let's take a look at that. Go back to verse 17 with me, and we'll find out what's going on. So verse 17 begins this whole section where Paul teaches on communion, okay? Verse 17, he says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you. That is, I have no praise for you. Why? Because when you come together for church, it's not for the better, but for the good. In other words, your meetings do more harm than they do good. And here's the reason why that's happening. Verse 18, he says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe that that is in part, and I believe it in part. Now, let's stop right there for a second and ask ourselves, well, what are these divisions that Paul is talking about? Well, if you were to go back in the letter of Corinthians, Uh, to chapter 1 and to chapter 3, you'd see there on a couple of occasions some of the Corinthians people, and Paul's, uh, he's quoting them here, say, I follow Apollos. Apollos was a a traveling evangelist back who was a contemporary of Paul's. He was out preaching the gospel. And so he came through this church in Corinth, and apparently he was a really, uh, a great orator. Um, The apostle Paul, not so much. Even though he was a brilliant guy, he wasn't necessarily all that great at public speaking. And the Corinthians really loved people who were great orators. And so some of them said, well, I know Paul's got a lot of great theology and he's a great thinker, but uh, it's a little bit more difficult to, to listen to him, right? And so I like Apollos. So they'd say, I follow Apollos. Other people said, well, I really like Paul's depth of theology and his understanding and the richness of what he teaches. And so I follow Paul. And then others would say over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I follow Peter because he's the head of the Christian church, right? I follow Cephas, they say. And so what's happened is, the Christians in Corinth have latched onto certain of these traveling evangelists that have come through their town and that have come through their churches, and they've got a case of preacher worship. 
they've got a case of, of cult of personality. And so the church has kind of had this little friction going on where some people say, well, I like Paul better. Uh, it's kind of like somebody saying, well, I like listening to Craig Groeschel preach or somebody else saying, well, I really like hearing Charles Stanley or somebody else saying, well, I, when T.D. Jake speaks, I mean, I really feel the Holy Spirit move, right? And so there's cult of personality that's going on within this particular church. People are at, you know, back and forth, having this little back and forth thing going on about who they like better. So that's one of the divisions that we see taking place in the church. But there are other divisions. Look at verse 21. For in eating the Lord's Supper, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Back in Paul's day, the Lord's Supper was not just a cracker and a splash of grape juice. Uh, back in Paul's day, the Lord's Supper was actually a whole meal. Um, it was sitting down to have a potluck meal together as a church, and at the beginning of that meal, they would break the bread and they would, uh, which represents the body of Christ, they would eat, eat of the bread. And then at the end of the meal, and you'll see this in the text here in a few moments, they would take the cup on the table, they would bless the cup, and they would each drink from the cup, representing the blood of Christ. Um, as for the local church, and so they call this, they call this Passover, uh, this meal that the church was sharing, they would call this a love feast. And it was indeed a feast where people would bring potluck dishes, and it was a whole gathering together of the church, and they would do this. Um, weekly. For the local church, it had become a tradition. And so at the meal, again, they would break the bread just like Jesus did. The disciples would eat of it, have the meal together. And then at the end, they'd take the, the cup just like Jesus did, bless the cup, and each of them would drink from it. And then, um, and then take a look what the text says, verse 25. It says that so Jesus took the cup after supper, right? So there's the cup coming up at the end of this meal. And so they pass the cup and remember the blood of Christ. But Paul points out here that um, some of the Corinthians, what they were doing, verse 21 says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. That is, some of the folks were not waiting on the rest of the Christians, the rest of the Corinthian church uh, goers to show up for this meal. In fact, some of these uh, believers were showing up early for the meal because what they would do is if you had a lot of money, well, then that means you had a lot of opportunity to bring a lot of extra food. And so they, would, uh, they were bringing potluck dish upon potluck dish and they kind of started getting tired of the folks who were poor that all the thing they could afford was a, was a package of rich crackers, right? And so the poor guy comes in with a package of rich crackers. The wealthy guy comes in with a whole bunch of uh, a pot roast. And he's thinking to himself, that guy didn't bring that much. I really don't want to share all the food that I brought with him. And so what they started doing was they started showing up early for the meal, gorging themselves, Paul says, that they were getting drunk. One of the guys goes hungry, verse 21. One goes hungry, the poor guy who showed up with his sleeve of Ritz crackers, while another, the wealthy, wealthy guy, the one who showed up early, gets drunk, just gorging himself on food and wine. And then once they're done with that, they say, the meal's over, hey, let's pass the cup and celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection. And Paul looks at all that and says, verse 22, what do I even say to you? Right? He's seeing the way that they're observing the Lord's Supper. He's seeing the way that they're treating one another, the way that they're treating this meal. And he's saying there's nothing but irreverence here. There's nothing but disrespect toward this meal because of the way y'all are treating the situation. Paul says, y'all have gotten together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and you're letting your brother in Christ go hungry. You're shutting him out of the meal by showing up early, you're getting drunk at church, and then after all that, you have the audacity to say, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
No way, Paul says. No way. And this is what prompts Paul to say back in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. There's food on the table, there's a cup on the table, but this is not communion. Verse 27, therefore, back to our key verse, therefore, in light of what you understand communion to be, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner such as this will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord will be guilty of sin. Now, I have heard plenty of sermons through the years that have attempted to explain what is meant by an unworthy manner. And about as many sermons as I've heard to try and explain what's meant by an unworthy manner are about the number of explanations that I've heard, right? It doesn't seem like anybody can find exact agreement on what's happening here. So again, what do you have to do to figure out what God's Word is having to say? You go back to the original context, right? You go back to their day. You sort out what's going on in the, uh, behind the scenes, which we've done, right? Which we've done. Um, and we don't isolate verses, but we consider them in the context of what's being taught there. And we try to identify what it means. In one of the occasions, I heard a pastor say that, a, um, that it's like, that what do we mean by an unworthy manner? Well, some have said that it's not coming to the Lord's table if you have a sin issue in your life. So if you were to come to the Lord's table and you have an active sin issue in your life, I've heard some pastors say that you shouldn't take of communion. Well, if that's the case, then none of us would ever take communion. I'm just saying, right? So some pastors have said that an unworthy manner means that if you have something against a fellow Christian that you shouldn't take from the meal. And so this is borrowing from what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where if you come to the altar and you have something against your brother, you're supposed to leave your gift there at the altar and then go and sort it out with your brother, then come back and then give your gift to the altar. But the problem there is Jesus' example is talking about giving an offering at the tabernacle or giving an offering at the temple. He's not talking about the Passover meal. He's not talking about communion. Some pastors have said that in an unworthy manner means that you're not a believer, that, you're not a, that, it, that if you're not a non-Christian, somebody who's a non-believer, um, that when you're trying to break in on communion as a non-believer, that because of you doing that, that that becomes sin in your life, which, okay, I see what somebody's saying there, but if I'm a non-believer whose sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus, then what does it really mean to me that I'm adding another sin to an already sin-stained heart, right? Well, the answer to all of those is uh, they fall short. Friends, when we consider the evidence of the text, the answer becomes very clear. An unworthy manner, what Paul is referring to here, is simply not showing the Lord's Supper the respect and the reverence that it deserves. Jesus instituted this saying, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my suffering. Remember my sacrifice. That's what you're doing by sharing this meal. You are remembering. Remember the nails in my hands and my feet. Remember the lashes upon my back. Remember, never forget what I endured. Never forget what I went through. Because when you remember it, you yourself will be reminded of the great love that God has for you. That he was willing to do this because he loved you that much. Because he declared you as worthy. You ever wonder to yourself, am I worthy? 
Friends, look no further than the cross of Christ. He went through that for you. And we are reminded every week that you are worthy. Taking the Lord's Supper seriously. Showing it the proper respect and reverence that it deserves. That is the simple message that this passage conveys. And when we do this, it will pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing into our heart and our lives. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity this morning to be reminded of why we take the Lord's Supper and of how we should receive these elements, representing your broken body and your shed blood. Lord, we ask as we uh, approach these elements today that you would set in our mind a sense of awe, that you declared us as worthy, that you declared us as persons whom, Lord, you love so much that you are willing to give your life on our behalf. And so, Lord Jesus, we just uh, we come to this table with respect, We come to this table with reverence today, being reminded of your suffering, of your sacrifice. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread. I'm going to invite our um, ushers to come forward. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed the cup. And he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. This morning we're going to invite you to come forward. Our ushers will um, guide you aisle by aisle um, to come forward and receive a piece of bread to dip it into the juice um, and then to eat that on your way back around to your seat. Um, If you would like to stop and pray this morning, uh, the altar is open on your way by. We invite you to do that. We do have a gluten-free option um, if, you're, if you need that. And uh, just let our, uh, let our ushers know, our servers know as you come by. Um, and I'm going to turn this over to our ushers now. I'm going to actually serve you guys, and then we'll, um, we'll serve the rest. Mm-hmm.